0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, his reign in our lives, where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he Good morning to you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joel. It's my privilege to be here this morning and to begin with a question. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's the ubiquitous question asked of kids, isn't it? Probably asked with good intention to get them to dream, to think of the future, to wonder. It's a little short-sighted though because you and I know that Growing up isn't a destination. It's a process. It's filled with fits and starts, and success and failure and growth and figuring things out, figuring yourself out. Nevertheless, my first grader Jack was asked that question last month at the beginning of his first grade year What do you want to be when you grow up? You know his answer? A preacher precious I think I know why he said it for I am doing it this very moment he sees that his dad has a job that he loves and there's something about emulating the one you love somebody you look up to I wonder what was it for you when when you were asked the question as a kid was it I want to be a teacher because my Nana was a teacher was it, I want to help people and help sick people get better because that was something that someone in your family experienced. Maybe you love to work with your hands and you saw your dad work with, your, with his hands and you say, I want to do what my dad did. Whatever those, whatever those things are, we know that kids love to emulate people that they love. The same is true of us, which is an interesting and a fitting way as we approach our text this morning. So I invite you to keep that in your mind as we work through this. Let me tell you a little bit about where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is recording for us the ministry of Jesus, specifically unpacking the reality of the kingdom of God. We've called this series, Thy Kingdom Come." Does that sound familiar? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a borrowed phrase from the Lord's Prayer. Now, that that I just quoted, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, actually creates a tension for us. There's tension here because Jesus is saying apparently God's will is done on in, in heaven, but it's not yet done on earth. And we know that that continues to this very day. So there is the Reality that God's will is, will not be fully accomplished until the end of the age. And so there's some tension there for, for us. What is his will, you might ask? Well, the theological word is redemption. It's this idea of salvation, of Jesus saving the world. God making salvation available to all people. Through the ministry of Jesus, carried on by his disciples and by extension the church today, which is a bit about what Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter four. There are two audiences he's addressing, and there are two approaches with those audiences. The first audience would be the crowds, they're called the crowds, and that could be any number of type of people. So you definitely have the religious leaders who are part of that. The skeptical people who are trying to catch Jesus in his words that held on to the power structure religiously in Israel and wanted it to stay that way. And so they're skeptical. They're coming to to figure out who's this itinerant preacher and what's he all about. And then you had people who were sick or lame and they were looking for healing. They genuinely wanted help from Jesus. You have a lot of people that just were curious about the, the miraculous Show us signs, they would say. Teach us something. Do something for us. We want to see this. There were people who were genuinely curious about this kingdom of God that he's describing. So those are the crowds. And to the crowds, our text last week and then what we will see today, the crowds are taught parables. These proverbial, pithy statement stories that Jesus uses to illustrate some type of a spiritual reality. Now, that's one audience and one approach. The other audience and the other approach are the disciples, specifically the 12. There were more than that, but specifically the 12. And to them, huddled up in private conversation, Jesus did more than speak in parables. He explained. He was interpreting. This was really, they didn't know it, but this was really a training session. This was preparation to equip them to carry on his work after he left. They didn't know that, though. And so last week we began earlier in Mark chapter 4, which is a set of three parables that really go together. We've seen elements of these parables elsewhere in, in, in the uh, gospel records. And so it's not the first time Jesus had said some of these things. But you remember last year there was the, the farmer who sowed. So the farmer being that picture of disciples of Jesus. Sowing seed, which is the the message of Jesus, and it's being sown into soil, representing different kinds, different conditions of the human heart. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think we're going to see, as we continue today, Jesus' invitation to become more like Him, to be like Jesus, and to be with Jesus, and to do the work of Jesus. And he explains, he wants us to know a few things, his disciples and us as well. He wants us to know a few things about the unexpected advance of the kingdom. A few principles that he'll unpack for his disciples. First, that deeper leads to greater. In verse 21, and he said to them, by the way, who is them? Well, we don't know entirely. I can't say this definitively, but scholars have, have taken the, the first two, the, the little bit of, of uh, text here at the very beginning are a couple of en- analogies that he's using. And so there are some scholars who say that this particular thing, this, this analogy of a lamp, he specifically is talking to the disciples because he's, he's actually explaining some realities to them before then he moves on to the parable. I can't make that determination. Because I don't know what was in Jesus' mind, but let's just pretend for a minute that he's talking to the disciples. So, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Well, That's a rhetorical question that almost seems a little ridiculous. The whole nature of light is to illuminate. Soon as you light a flashlight in a dark room, it lights it up. The whole nature of light is that it might shine and help people to see So Jesus continues in verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So he's describing the kingdom of God here as a lamp, this analogy. And he says the kingdom is meant to be fully known. It's not a secret. Secret would be dark. Click on a lamp, all of a sudden it's known. Now, to his disciples in this day and age, they hear kingdom... They think, okay, Jesus is gonna be the king, naturally, we're following him, Jesus is king, which means there's some pretty significant and wonderful changes to come. Politically, Rome is gonna be overthrown. Religiously, the scribes, the Pharisees, these people who have just burdened the Israelites with all these, all these things, they're not gonna be holding the power anymore. It's gonna be Jesus, maybe even a return to a theocracy like Israel used to have. Socioeconomically, Israel was marginalized. They were oppressed. They were not their former glory. And so the disciples think Jesus is king, and this is going to have significant ramifications. And because we're in the inner circle, like they've got a lot in their mind when they hear kingdom coming from Jesus. That's not entirely what Jesus had in mind. And we know that because we have the New Testament for us. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not meant to be a secret. It's meant to be known, which is a little interesting because it was still a mystery at that point when he's teaching them. They don't know that he's going to die. They don't know that he's going to be buried, that he will rise again that he will commission them and then he will go to heaven and this thing will blow up. He doesn't, they don't know that. And so there's still a mystery as Jesus explains it to them. But that's why this is a training. It's a preparation. Hey, this is coming, disciples. The mystery is going to be revealed. And what is the mystery, you might wonder? We call it the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners And the Apostle Paul, I I counted it, it was about 20 times in the course of his letters, he says the mystery revealed is amazingly that it's not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles as well, that they are welcomed in as well, regardless of their ethnic background, regardless of who they've worshipped before or where they worship, it's available. The mystery has been made known and is open to all like a light shining in a dark place. And the great news for you and me today, not only for Gentiles that we get to experience salvation, but this can actually be known. That's the beauty of the recorded scripture, that we can know more of the mystery of God that was hidden for ages and now is made plain. This is not just something to be held on to professionals who preach, who teach, who write commentaries, who are professors at seminary. It's not just for them. It's for all. All can know the mystery of the gospel. It's plain. It's available. So that's the analogy of the lamp that Jesus then calls for discernment. Look at 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. We've heard this before. Jesus has used that language before. It's the idea of if you have ears, then tune in. Tune in to what God is actually saying. Have discernment. Listen, but pay attention. He continues in verse 24. He moves into a new analogy, an analogy of measures. And Jesus said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. That reminds me, Jesus is taught in other places about measures. Let me read Luke 6. For you. You don't have to turn there. Luke six, starting in verse thirty-seven. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. For the measure, he goes on to say, for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So that's this principle. Take giving, for example, in Luke 6:38. We've talked about generosity and stewardship. And so what Jesus says here is, if you give, it'll be measured back to you. Now, we like the sound of that, don't we? Man, if I'm generous with God, I give some money, he's going to give more back to me. It's not always financial. There are those amazing stories that he, in his goodness and sovereignty, will pour out blessing on, on some people financially. But actually, the... The message of Jesus as it relates to giving is the good life is found by giving it all away. It's a hard attitude. And the measure by which you're generous with others, it will be measured back to you. The principle here, as we jump back to Mark 4, the principle is as we have the truth of the gospel, as we ingest that, as we use that, as we pass that on to others, there's something even more, deeper leads to greater. You're going to get so much more out of it. There's a British pastor. I think he's still alive. He's been preaching longer than I've been alive. His name is Pastor Dick Lucas, and he's taught this. If you want to learn, teach. If you want to gain more understanding of the gospel, pass on what you do understand. He goes on to say, the generosity with which you pass on the knowledge you have of Christ will decide the growth of your capacity to understand it. Now, I say this in humility, but I've been in in these particular verses for about a week and a half, and so I'm going to just guess that I've gotten more out of it than you have listening to me for eight or ten minutes. That's the principle here as I... Pay attention to these words as I invest myself in the text. Seek to understand Jesus, what he was teaching, what his heart is. There's going to be more that I get out of it, which has some great application for our time with Jesus daily. But listen, Jesus has some severe words. In verse 25, to the one who has more, more will be given. We like that, but here's the harsh words. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus has used harsh words like that before. Do you remember Matthew 25, the parable of the talents? He tells the story of a master who's calling together some servants and saying, I'm going to entrust this to you. And those servants go. There's a whole bunch of them, and they go. And and some of them, it's like gangbusters. They they get a lot of return for what he has entrusted to them. And then there are others, a little bit less. Do you remember that there is one who was afraid And who actually didn't work for the master's benefit he just held on to what he had do you remember the words jesus had for him he called him a worthless lazy servant and he then cast him out into the other utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth that's the part of jesus we don't always like to say out loud isn't it but very severe harsh words for the one that turns away, that says, no, I will not do anything with the words that I have just received. Here's the point. When we hear and we respond, we get to experience the kingdom and a greater measure of God's favor and of the kingdom and seeing where he's at work and understanding what that means in our life. And there's blessing and there's understanding. But when we reject, there is spiritual blindness and someday there is judgment. There is judgment coming for those who reject. That's Jesus's point here. Last week, uh, my wife Allie began volunteering at our kids' elementary school, Wood Creek, just on the other side of Middle Belt Road. And she went in uh, one day a week to help with the noon lunch hours and manage the chaos of elementary kids. And then because of the weather, they couldn't have recess outside, and so they had to have in-room recess, which kids just need to, like, get their energy out on the playground. So she really was managing chaos. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. But in true fashion, you know, she held it together. She loves kids. It was, it was good. I had to go in to talk to the, the uh, Wood Creek office staff. We're going to collaborate with our Thanksgiving box initiative coming up next month, or this month, I can't remember when it is, and as soon as I walked in, they said, oh, Allie, oh, we love her, she brought us cookies, chocolate chip cookies, and then she helped us, and it was chaos, and we needed her, and she kept her smile the whole time, and it was so great, and she's going to come back again, and they just were gushing with affirmation. Do you know what my response was? You don't know the half of it. Seriously, you don't know the half of it. The more you get to know her, the better. I'm the love of her life. I probably know her more than anybody else on the planet. And I can say definitively, the more you get to know my wife, the better it is. She's a joy. That's how it is with Jesus, friends. The more you know Jesus, the better it is deeper leads to greater the whole idea that we are invited to be with Jesus through His Word, through prayer, through abiding with Him, that you and I get to be loved by Jesus. Whatever our story is, each of us has a particular set of experiences and values that have made us who we are today. You know the good news? You don't have to like quick clean up and present your best life to Jesus. He says, I love you where you are. And so the gift of being able to even embrace your story because Jesus loves that about you. That's amazing. That will cause you to love him more. It will cause you to say, boy, if this was the life that Jesus invites me to, then I want to do the things that Jesus did. That is the the life that's available to us. And as we're going to see as we continue in this passage, that we have this opportunity to be sent by Jesus, to carry on his mission, to do the things that Jesus did until he comes again. Deeper leads to greater. Jesus then moves on to these two parables. We've looked at a couple of analogies. Now we look at a couple of parables where he unpacks more about the kingdom and the mysterious way that it grows he continues this farming motif as he talks about things that grow. And boy, we love growth, don't we? As a society, everything upward and to the right, we like that in our portfolios, in our bank accounts, in our jobs, if we're not continually getting raises, if we don't see our next car has got to be better than our last car. I mean, that, that's just the world we live in. We love growth. We love success. Can creep into the church, be totally honest with you. Multiple people have written and said, healthy things grow. And so if your church is not growing, then there's something wrong. Okay, well, hang on. We we need to let Jesus define what growth looks like, what success looks like. And yeah, there are some things in the church that we track. We want to track who's coming to Christ, who's willing to enter the waters of baptism in obedience to Jesus. I mean, that's a marker of spiritual. Growth. We want to track engagement with ministries and and things like our life groups because we think that that's a good place for, for discipleship to happen. So there are some good things about growth and tracking that, but we have to let Jesus define it for us. And here's what he says. Here's the principle. Faithful leads to fruitful. He picks up in verse 26. He says, "...the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground." He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So here we have Jesus describing some things that people do, the, the disciples, the farmer, the sower here and things that God does. What does the farmer do? What do the disciples do? They sow, right? They're just far- they're just spreading the seed. And then they're done. Until the harvest, right? There is something coming. What is it that God does? Everything else. Everything else. Everything else according to Jesus. This seed grows secretly. And he's remember this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven, and it's a picture of again another theological word regeneration, which you might know is being born again, or as Paul described it in Romans six eleven, being dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus is describing here, not really the corn or the grain or whatever it is. He's describing regeneration and how it happens. And he's explaining, it's a miracle. It is a miracle that it's not anything that the farmer did. He he went to sleep. I mean, he sowed and then he went to sleep and then he got up the next day and and on and on and on and on and on and on. And the seed sprouted and grew, but he didn't know how. He has no idea how this works. It's also a a mystery and, and the earth doing this by itself where all of a sudden there's a little blade that pops up, and then there's a process of development, right? This is happening. It's a a maturation of things. But he doesn't understand it. He really doesn't do anything to control it. It's gradual. And the cool thing in verse 29 is, when the grain is ripe, it goes on to say the harvest has come. Jesus knows there's a harvest coming, and so he's teaching them, expect it expect that there is a harvest coming. Be faithful. Be persistent. That's the message here. Be faithful and persistent. This mysterious secret growing seed isn't something that you control. Have you ever heard of William Carey, the British missionary who felt a burden to leave England and to go to India? Do you know that William Carey labored for seven years? Seven long years before he had a single convert. That's a long time to go. It's a long time. I mean, imagine after six months, you're like, golly. After a year, after two years, after three years, then on and on and on and on. He waited seven years for one person to profess faith in Christ through his ministry. But the harvest came. And you know the cool thing, the next 20 years of his ministry along with some other missionaries there, they had the opportunity to baptize 1,407 Indians. Praise God. Long time waiting. Seven years. And then over the next 20 years, over 1,400 people said, yes, I'll follow Jesus. I'll be baptized. But imagine yourself in his shoes. It's a long time to be persistent and patient. And I'm reminded that this idea of sowing and, and waiting and being faithful is, it's not up to us, but it is up to us to some extent. We, there aren't magic words for this, right? All of this is a mystery. So there's nothing magical that we have to like say the words right for them to get it or get them to say the words, the right words for this to actually work. It doesn't work like that. But the fact remains, we have to use words. Now, we're nice, we're friendly. We want to be nice. We want to be friendly. We want to be people of grace, be people of forgiveness, be people of patience, behind the wheel, especially. Come on, Christians. And with neighbors, with co-workers. I mean, we we just want to be known as these people who just, they, we should be savory. Like, like, we should just, it should feel good to be around us. But if we're not using words then we're not actually sewing It's more than just niceties and, and how we treat people. there have to be words and so that is why as a church we faithfully proclaim the gospel every Sunday. That's one of the things that we can do communally is we can sit under the teaching of God's word so that deeper will lead to greater so that God's spirit can use the proclaimed word for for bearing fruit. We want to have good doctrine. We want to have unity and love so that our world would say like, what's going on over there? Why do they get along when nobody else in the world gets along right now? We want to be known as those people. We want to have eyes for the lost, which is why we lean into things. I mean, I talked about the Thanksgiving boxes and the the opportunity that's open for us uh, on the Farmington schools here on Middlebelt Road and to bless some families that are there. It's why this Saturday, the city of Farmington Hills just contacted us, and they said, would you like to be part of our trunk and treat? You bet. Candy? Sure, we'll show up. And so we have the opportunity to just hang out with whoever from our community comes to that. Maybe you'll grab your neighbors, your your family. Maybe you'll just show up. There's nothing you have to do except just walk around with people and say, hey, this is my church. I love my church. I love my church. I'd love for you to know my church, right? Who knows? But with just faithful, mysterious planting of seeds, what God would do. Personally speaking, so those are some things we do as a church. Personally speaking, some of you have prayed and proclaimed the gospel for a long time and it hasn't taken root yet. There's someone that you feel burdened. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker. I don't know. So Jesus is saying through this parable, don't lose heart. Just be faithful. Keep going. If you're not doing any of that, the invitation here is to don't avoid it. I know we're not supposed to talk about politics and religion and culture, right? But you can't hold on to this. You can't hold on to this good news. It's so good. It's so good that if you love Jesus, you're going to love people by telling them, don't hold on to it. Don't avoid Sharing the gospel with people. That's the call here as well. That's not really sewing. That's just going to sleep and waking up. But not actually doing the sewing that Jesus calls his disciples to. I also know that there are people here who are still fairly new in their faith. Or they're still figuring a lot of things out. And I'm I'm still figuring a lot of things out. And so here's the invitation. If you find yourself like that, like, I don't know what to say. I don't have all the answers. Well, say yes to what you know. I mean, just say yes to what you've experienced, right? So you're not going to have a whole theological treatise that people are going to want to hear from you, but they want to hear your story. There may be some experience you walk through. There may be something of your past and how Jesus has redeemed that and restored you and given you a new identity. That's a powerful way to tell the gospel with your story. That's part of embracing your story letting God use that. So say yes to what you know. Faithfulness, faithful leads to fruitful. But lastly, Jesus finishes with this last parable of the mustard seed that's been read for us already. And he's going to unpack the reality that small leads to expansive. Small leads to expansive. In verse 30, he's comparing the kingdom of God to this mustard seed. Smallest of all seeds on earth. By the way, he's speaking proverbially, not botanically. We know today that there are seeds smaller than mustard seed. But to his audience, it was about the smallest thing they know. And so he is saying this tiny little insignificant thing that you would totally miss if you walked by. You wouldn't even see it. It's so small, it's so insignificant. Look what it grows up to. 32. When it is sown, there's a, another action, right? The call to sow. It grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This idea of it really, really taking off and growing into this garden plant tree that, that provides provision. That's a, that's a double way of saying it, that provides for even the birds of the air. You know, in other places in Scripture and even in ancient Near Eastern literature, trees were a way to describe kingdoms. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel describes the nation of Assyria as a towering cedar tree. Do you remember in the book of Daniel, maybe you remember that Nebuchadnezzar had this crazy dream and Daniel is standing before him and he says, in, in my dream, there was this tree that was chopped down It goes on to explain some stuff. And Daniel prophesied and God made good on the prophecy. Nebuchadnezzar was the tree who was chopped down, who was sent to live out in a field with long nails and eating the grass. I mean, it's this crazy like beast man story to humble him until he humbled himself under God and the kingdom was restored. So we see in other places of scripture that, that a kingdom is referred to as a tree. And I think that's a bit of what Jesus had in his brain as he's teaching it. He's using this picture that maybe they would have understood that here's this tiny seed that grows up into this large plant. Now, I did a little reading about mustard plants. I'd never done that before. Mustard plants were invasive, like really bad, take over a garden, right? Not a good thing. Unless we're talking in God's gospel economy, invasive is a very good thing. Do you know what? mustard seed plants do. They grow really big like Jesus has described. They drop more seeds. Those grow up really big. They drop more seeds and on and on and on. And you could see how it would take over an entire garden, which is a really good way that Jesus is using to describe this. It's invasive. It just takes over. It is small and it becomes so expansive. Significant growth One of the things I've been most struck by in the last week and a half in these couple of parables, Jesus has an amazing amount of realism and confidence. He's being totally honest with the disciples, with the crowds, but he's so hopeful. Think about it. His honesty, his realism. Planting his hard work. And now I'm not talking about the farming part of it. But we know what it's like to be in a conversation with someone and to like internally like, oh, I should, I should. It's, oh, that'd make it awkward. Oh, I don't know if I should say it or not. Haven't you been there? I have. It's, it's work, right? To speak the name of Jesus, to insert that. You don't know how it's going to fall on their ears. It, it is work. It's hard work. So though it's work, and though it's heartbreaking, do you remember last, last week, the soils, three out of the four soils, didn't take root, didn't produce faithfulness. That's heartbreaking when you think about soils as people's lives. People who you know, who you love, who say no to Jesus, doesn't take root. We know the ramifications for them eternally. That's really It can be really heartbreaking to think about that. It can be heartbreaking and difficult when nothing seems to be happening. All you do is sow, and then you wait, and nothing. There is no fruit. There's nothing that's happening. That can be hard to persevere, can't it? And yet Jesus still says, sow the seed. The chief responsibility of the disciples, and therefore the church, is to spread the message of Jesus, to make disciples. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go, as you go, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. It's supposed to be like that mustard plant, the seeds that spread. And yeah, baptize them and teach them the way of Jesus, but make disciples. That is the responsibility. That's what he's teaching his followers that continues for us today. All of those things take time and you gotta, you got to have a, a strong sense of calling, don't you, in order to engage in this type of work. But here's the beautiful part, the, the, the confidence of Jesus that I love. He says significant growth is coming. Last week, that one out of four soil, so the minority, do you remember the Returns? 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. If your portfolio looked like that, that's an amazing return on investment for the minority, the one out of four of the soils. Acts 2. Do you remember Acts 2? The the disciples are all huddled. Jesus just left. They're trying to figure out, what are we supposed to do now? Holy Spirit is poured out on them. Supernaturally, they begin to, to preach and speak And people here in their native tongues, I went back and counted, it was about a dozen nationalities that were in Jerusalem at that time that heard the gospel being preached in their own native tongue so that they could understand it. Guess what happened to that? It goes to the ends of the earth, which is why in Revelation, there are all these pictures, these reminders of this worship gathering around the throne of every tribe and tongue and language and people. So we know the confidence of Jesus, harvest is coming. There's a significant return on the investment of our faithful planting of seeds. Imagine if the apostles could see us right now. Honestly, think about that. You know, I would love to walk up to one of them, it doesn't matter which one, shake their hand and say, hi, I'm Joel. I'm a pastor in Farmington Hills, Michigan. That doesn't mean anything to you. But let me tell you, after Jesus left you, you preached in Jerusalem. You passed that on to somebody else. And that was passed on to other people. And that was passed on to even more people. And somehow it skipped across the ocean. So here we are 2,000 years, and I didn't do the math to see how many miles. We're so far from Jerusalem. And here we are, the gathered church, sitting under the words of Jesus, finding our identity, our calling, and what he has for his disciples. What if the apostles could see us? And the fact remains, we know so much more than they know. Praise God, we have this. We know how the story ends. Small leads to really expansive in God's economy. And so... Because we know more, to whom much is given, much is required. The motivation cannot be guilt. It's not how this works. Just like giving, what we talked about before, the motivation can never be guilt. This is good not because it's right, it's just the best way. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way that Jesus lays out for his followers. And so we have to grow, friends, in confidence I needed some of that confidence this week from Jesus. We got to grow in our calling. How do we talk about Jesus? It's got to be more than heaven. Someday you're going to have a mansion. It's awesome. You know, there's a lot of mansions around here. People live pretty good lives here. So it's got to be more than someday you're just going to have a great life. Jesus changed my life. I want you to know about him. Friends, Jesus' reign advances through his shared word and his word is shared by his people. We know it advances today, don't we? But it begins with an understanding of the gospel. The very good news that Jesus saves. Amen. Jesus saves. Do you know it for yourself? Has it planted in the soil of your heart, does that mean something for you? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, oh, I invite you to that today. There's nothing better in all of life than walking in the way of Jesus, having the peace, having the knowledge that he wants you to pass it on to others. This is a perpetual thing that we're part of. It's a good business to be in. It's a good family farming endeavor that we're in. And I want you to know that for yourself. If it does mean something to you, then do you want it for other people? Who is your one? Who's your two? Who are the people of peace in your life? For some reason, when you are around them for coffee or at the water cooler at work or whatever it may be, they just open up. They share something about their life. They see you as a people, a person of peace. And you have the opportunity to speak life into them, to just be faithful in planting. Speak the name of Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I determined to, to preach only Christ crucified. Not lofty words, not all this wonderful stuff. Jesus Christ crucified. That's what he endeavored to teach and to preach. So what do you want to be when you grow up, Jack? I don't know if it'll be a preacher. I don't know what God has for him. He's got a lot of years ahead of him. Here's what I do know. Here's my part. I'm faithful. I encourage him. I show him and share with him repeatedly the gospel, the reminder that, buddy, you've been saved by Jesus, saved from and saved for something. I'm going to love him toward whatever it is that God calls him into. And I don't know what that is, but I want to be faithful and I want to expect great things because I have a great God. Amen? So God, we worship you. We're called by you. That's why we're here this morning, carved out time in our earliest part of our week to remember the truth that you save sinners and that you use us to help other people to know. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would let the word land where it's supposed to land on the hearts, the soil that are in this room. Jesus, we lift you up. We want you to be known even in just a moment as we sing and then we have the opportunity to participate in communion, to have fellowship with you through communion. We worship you, we lift you up, we magnify you. We want you to be known across the ends of the earth. As long as it depends on us, we're going to be faithful. For your beautiful name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family